Welcome into NHL at the Rink. Dan Rosen here. Got Sean Rourke as always to my right. We were off last week, extenuating circumstances, various things. Back on, and Sean, the playoff race is certainly back on. Well, on. It's we're in the thick of it right now. This is this is what makes the NHL great. The playoff race in March makes it so much fun because still, like nothing is settled. Nothing. No, we're down to the dirty dozen for most teams. Last 12 games for a lot of teams, everybody's playing either 11 to 14 at this point. There's still 24 teams Yeah, that They're you all, could make an argument are going to make the playoffs. Um, some red-hot teams, the, the Flyers, the Wild have been coming on strong. Um, Who saw that coming? I know. Really? I mean, Kevin Fiala's got 14 goals in the last 18 games that they've played. I didn't see the Wild coming on this strong. They traded Zucker. They were going to trade Parisi. They were looking to blow the whole thing up, it looked like. And now all of a sudden, they tr- they fired their coach, Boudreaux, and here they are in a playoff spot. Yeah, I think I think the message was sent, right? I think Billy Guerin said, I don't believe in you guys. Here's what I'm going to do. And I, and I think they said, stick it. Like, <laughs> this is who we are, and we're going to show you. And I th- sometimes professional athletes need that. You need to throw a hand grenade in a room. And uh, there was there were several thrown into that room, and they've responded brilliantly. As brilliantly as they've responded, they're still in a fair bit of trouble. Well, they are. And, you know, you're speaking of hand grenades, too. Uh, the Florida Panthers dropped one in with the Trotrek trade. They've been better since as well. But injuries become hand grenades, too. And we had one Monday night. Nathan McKinnon, we don't know the extent of it yet as the time we record this, but Nathan McKinnon goes out of the game, the Avalanche's game against the Kings with a lower body injury with about five minutes left in the second period. This is a team that's already playing without Miko Rantanen, Kale McCarr, Andre Burakovsky, Nazem Kadri, Matt Calvert. If they lose McKinnon for any length of time, look, I mean, I think they're fine. I think they're going to make the playoffs, but if this is long-term, and we don't know that, they're hoping it's short-term, this is, this is as significant of an injury as it gets in the National Hockey League. There is no more significant injury. Hands down, the MVP in the league in my book. Look, just think about this. He has 46 more points than the next closest player on his team. 48 more than the next forward. (laughs) That's like Taylor Hall-esque when he won the Hart Trophy a couple of years ago with the Devils. He has 15 more goals than anybody else on that team. They can't replace him, and they can't score without him. Especially with Rantanen being out yeah. and Kadri. So if this is anything more than a minor blip, Colorado, especially, you know, everybody's talked about how the East has been better than the West. The gap's closing. Vegas is rolling. Colorado's rolling. There's Edmonton's been playing well as long as they don't play Vegas. And I think the gap's closing between the two conferences. Well, it, it's closing. But, I mean, specific to Colorado, they're, they're look, they're a team that, they're trying to get ahead of the Blues right now, and they were, they've were they been close. Losing to L.A. hurts. Losing McKinnon obviously hurts. But you they're in a good spot. I mean, they can withstand an injury to Nathan McKinnon right now if it's not going to take them into April. And we don't know yet where this is going to go. But in the position they're in, whether they finish first or they finish second in that division, they're probably locked into either one of those spots right now. And so if you're going to have an injury to a guy like Nathan McKinnon, now is the time to do it, right? He maybe gets a little bit of extra rest because of this. And they're look, I mean, as of today, they're eight points clear of third, which is Dallas, and the Dallas Stars are struggling 0-3-2 and in their past five. So I will say this. If they have a, McKinnon getting hurt, 
It's not a bad time to have this injury. You never want it, but if it's going to happen, let's have it right now. Yeah, and I don't know that they want to catch the Blues. <laughs> right? Because you're going to play the wild card team and, and that demolition derby that's going on there. Somebody's going to come out of that playing hot and being confident. Or you're going to play the Dallas Stars, who cannot score a goal to save their lives. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, you don't want to catch do the Blues. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, I would prefer to take my chances against Winnipeg or Minnesota or Vancouver or Nashville than I would against the Dallas Stars. And I say that because the Stars have a little bit of playoff pedigree. They've, they've gone on a little bit of a run last year. Ben Bishop is an excellent goaltender. You still know you got Sagan and Ben there, and they can do some damage. The way they can lock it down especially makes me a little leery of the Dallas Stars. Uh, I would not want – I mean, if you can finish first in that division, I would much prefer to take my chances with one of these wildcard teams because, look, you, you look at this wildcard race, the Jets – the Wild, the Canucks, the Predators, even the Coyotes are still in it, obviously. Any of those teams really, like, putting the fear in you? Yes. Which one? The Predators. You've been saying that for a long time. Of course. Why am I going to change my <laughs> tune? Well, I, okay, fine. The Predators, okay, I, I'll give it to them. They're about as good on the, at home as they are on the road. They have played a little bit better of late, but they're still so inconsistent. They don't score a lot. They just played two games against Dallas, and they scored three goals. They won them, but they scored three goals. So I, I, I'm a little – I'm not into the to Nashville Predators still. I looked up their numbers. Since January 27th, they're 12-8-1. That's decent. They're averaging two and a half goals per game in that stretch that to me is not good enough for a team to be in the playoff hunt they're 17.7 percent on the power play in that time that they are not good enough to strike fear into me if i'm the colorado avalanche not at all well first of all their forwards can get hot they can't play as bad as they played all year they have i think better forwards than dallas or any other team that's in, in that chase and the, the handoff has happened soros is the goalie now yeah Right, and his last thirteen games, he's nine four and zero with a nine forty save percentage and a two two point one zero, I think, goals against average. But but again, Soros is a guy. If you take him into the playoffs, where's the experience? You know, like what's the experience? There is none. So again, another reason why the Nashville Predators are not really striking fear into me at all. Let's move east, and we're going to talk in just a little bit here with Keith Jones from NBC. We got to get to Keith about the Flyers, the Philadelphia Flyers, who entering today have won nine games in a row. So we'll get to Keith on the Flyers, a little bit more on the Metro, but let's move east, and we've got some injury news. Victor Hedman's going to miss his second straight game. Steven Stamkos is out of the lineup having core muscle surgery. Hedman's got that lower body injury. Ryan McDonough did come back for the Lightning, but they're dealing with some stuff right now, too. They had that long hot streak, but now they've crashed a little bit back to earth. They're not going to catch the Boston Bruins. The Leafs won't catch them, or the Panthers won't catch them, so they're pretty much locked into that number two spot in the Atlantic Division, but they're dealing with some injuries. It's not exactly how the Lightning want to go in to these last, what, 13, 14 games that they've got. No, and everybody wondered last year why they lost to Columbus, and there were all kinds of theories. They lost to Columbus because they didn't have Victor Hedman. It's a big reason. Right? Well, I mean, there were other reasons. He, but he's the guy. He's the guy that makes it all go. He's Norris Trophy candidate. Does everything for them. Like, look, you look at that game on Saturday, and all I can say is I hope that they stay in that number two seed, they win their first round, and the Bruins win their round, and they get to meet at some point. Because that game on Saturday was one of the most entertaining games I've watched all year. 
And Hedman was all over the ice in that game. And he's the kind of guy you need when you're going to play that heavy north-south game, you know, which Tampa Bay tried to move a little bit more towards. And, and everybody talked about the confidence they got in standing up to the Bruins on Saturday. That was a prove-it game. And, and beating them at their own game. There's some bumps and bruises came out of that game. Yeah. And can they do it for seven games against a team like the Bruins? And I still don't know the answer to I, that. I don't know the answer. I don't think they can. So I, if they do end up playing the Bruins in a playoff series, I think they're going to have to light them up in the first two games to really get to get an advantage in that series and then you know, try to withstand those first two games, get wins, and then you can deal with the bumps and bruises as you go along, but at least get yourself a lead. Because if, if they were to play in the playoffs, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but if they were to play in the playoffs and they fall behind, the Bruins are just going to lean on them until they fall down. And I know the, the Lightning, that was a nice prove-it game for them. They were able to play that way. Uh, they've got the guys now that can do that, especially a guy like Patrick Maroon, Blake Coleman, Barclay Gaudreau, who they've added into the lineup. But the, it's not like the Bruins are phased by losing that game at all. It was a, That game was a meaningful to Tampa, and Boston was just probably like, ah, well, all right, we'll get him next time. I'll tell you what, though. I've watched hockey for a long time. I've watched the Bruins for a long time. I, I can't remember more than five times that Zidane Char has been taken down. He's he's from wrestling stock. Is <laughs> he knows how to keep his balance. Pat Maroon's done it twice this year. Yeah. He is a rig, man. He, he's the big rig. That's his nickname. How about the how many times have you seen four guys go after Brad Marcia and though in the corner? Every other every game. other game. Yeah, pretty much every <laughs> other game. We'll get to some of that stuff too uh, with our guest after Keith Jones, Mike Zeisberger uh, from NHL.com. He's going to join us talk a little bit about the Atlantic Division. But let's get to Keith right now because we can't hold off on the Philadelphia Flyers. They have been that good. So Keith, thanks for joining us. How you doing today? Uh, doing great, Dan. Sean, everything's going well. Just kind of getting ready for another Flyers game tonight against the Bruins. They're rolling right now. Nine in a row going into this game against the Bruins. What, what, what's working? Why are they on, on such a roll right now? Well, there's real balance, and there's a lot of different options for Elaine Vigneault, and there's been a lot of different players providing offensive sparks when necessary and strong defensive play at the right time. So they've had pretty much a perfect storm going on in their favor and I think a lot of it has to do with the depth that they have available not just in their lineup and in goal but also behind the bench they've got a good a new and refreshed coaching staff that's done an outstanding job and taking all these pieces and turning them into a, a very good team right now is there a concern I look they've been the best team in hockey for several months now but is there a concern that there's not a true game breaker on that team like there is so many of the contenders in the east you know i i would think that there'd be a legitimate argument there but i think based upon what we saw from the blues last year with the exception of tarasenko that you know having multiple players that can provide offense but not necessarily light it up individually uh, can serve you very well when the playoffs roll around and I think that's kind of the blueprint of this hockey team. They've had players who have been stars over the last decade, including Claude Giroux, uh, who is not producing at the same level, but is providing a really important spark to the team, especially over this nine-game winning streak that they've been on. Another veteran, Jake Voracek, has also really picked it up in the second half of the season. Both of those players have been all-stars, have had seasons where they've been amongst the league leaders. And over the last decade, I think Giroux is somewhere around the top five as far as point production goes for players that have been around as long as he has. 
so they do have some proven players, but I think most importantly they've got a very strong blue line this year, and it's probably the number one difference. And that has been the one area that they've really excelled in, including offensive production from the back end. At last check, they were amongst the leaders, if not leading the league in goals by defensemen, and that's also by committee. That's not just one individual player lighting it up. You know, uh, Keith, you, you mentioned Voracek, and I was going to ask you about him, but you switched over to the D, and the guy I think who, I, who it clicked me to ask you about is Niskanen, Matt Niskanen, because it seems like wherever he goes, he becomes sort of a glue guy on that on the blue line. Is he that for the Flyers now? Does he help make everything go for that defense? He, he has from the moment he arrived in. He allowed Provorov to continue his development. He's an exceptional young defenseman, but needed a reliable right-handed shooting partner. And Niskanen has provided that and more since his arrival. He's played in all situations, which he has throughout his career. He's been productive on the second power play unit. He's been exceptional in killing penalties. Uh, he's a terrific leader, both on and off the ice, and he's a real good sounding board for some of the younger defensemen that are in the Flyers lineup right now. So if there's one player and one new addition that I could look to as the number one reason why the Flyers are better, it's Matt Niskanen. And I think that the Capitals are going to miss him even more when the playoffs roll around just because of all the subtle things he does to make his team better. One of the big questions whenever you get close to the playoffs or into the playoffs, and Dan and I were talking about this in our open a little bit when we talked about Nashville, you know, I, I was singing their praises, and he's like, well, it's, it's UC Soros, and it's going to be his first kick at the can, and, you know, how do you trust a guy like that in the playoffs? Those same questions are, I, could be asked about Carter Hart, but you've seen him every day, and I would assume you have a difference of opinion in that just by the way that he's produced throughout the year. Always concerning when a goaltender is 21 years of age and would be looking at his first-ever playoffs. But the guy's pretty calm. And if you're winning games in net in Philadelphia more often than you are on the road, his home record's exceptional. At that position in Philly, that can be as, as much of a challenge as you know, being the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. You have a lot of pressure and the crowd will let you know if you're not performing to expectations. So for a 21-year-old to handle all of that as calmly as he had this year, uh, it has to give you at least pause to think that he might be one of the exceptions to the rule that may be able to jump in there and provide the Flyers the type of net minding you need to go on an extended run in the playoffs. But historically, you look around, and the majority of top young goaltenders are 24 years of age, 25 years of age. The Binningtons and the Shesterikins and the Georgievs and those types. So there is, without question, some concern just based upon age, but he has certainly been very capable uh, all this regular season and for much of last when he arrived in Philly. Let's look at some of the not-so-good in the Metro right now. I look at the Washington Capitals right now, and, and granted, they're 2-1-2 and two in their past five, but... I don't know, Keith. To me, sometimes they look disinterested. Their power play's flat. They go to the penalty box way too often. Can you put your finger on why maybe the Capitals are, are struggling here a little bit to, to keep a hold of it in, in the Metro? Yeah, when you're talking about discipline and a team that looks disinterested at times, a lot of times you look back behind the bench and see who's motivating them. And when you have a coach like Barry Trotz that took them to 
the ultimate prize and then left abruptly after that, I think you're always a little bit concerned because there's no question there's a major experience drop-off with this being Todd Reardon's first you know, couple of seasons behind a National Hockey League bench, that uh, coaching would be, in my eyes, a concern. Uh, not that I don't think Todd is going to be an excellent coach and is a terrific guy for the team to bounce things off of like he did when he was an assistant coach with Barry. But I would have felt more comfortable if there was a more experienced guy to keep them kind of going in the right direction. They are on top of the Metropolitan Division, which is a great accomplishment. So it's tough to knock somebody down that much. But I am concerned about it. And I do think the Capitals are a much better team on paper than they have performed on the ice. So I think he's got some challenges there, and hopefully the players buy into what he's selling and can perform up to expectations, but there is some question marks. Yeah, and it's shocking. I mean, they've only won back-to-back games twice since February 1st for for a team that you're talking about being a contender for the for the Stanley Cup, uh, to win the Stanley Cup. That's, that's not what you want to see from that team. No, it's a little concerning, isn't it? And just watching them perform and really all eyes were on them as Ovechkin closed in on 700 and I think they were all under the microscope at that time and the team as a whole did not perform very well and have continued to bump along from that point. Uh, They have all the elements that you would want in a team that was looking to go on a long run. They've got superstar talent. They have depth in goal now, although question marks around Braden Holtby and where his head is at based upon where his contract situation stands and there's got to be a lot of things rolling through his mind but they are a tough team they've got all kinds of size and grit and they've got a whole bunch of guys that don't mind playing the game with an attitude uh they i do think they'll miss niskanen on the back end with a lot of his playoff experience and ability to calm things down and that's probably the one area of concern for me is defensively uh, on the back end they are not built like they were in previous years i think they do lack that type of player back there. They've got a star in Carlson, but I think Neskinen was a perfect complement on the back end. So that's something to watch for. And Keith, let's flip to the Penguins because it's interesting. You mentioned coaching and the with Reardon. Mike Sullivan, I think, has put together a terrific year coaching the Penguins with all throughout all their injuries. But lately, they haven't really been responding very well either. And you know, you think about where Pittsburgh is right now and the struggles that they have. By the way, they also have three games against Carolina left, who beat them six to two on Sunday. They got to play the Capitals, who have beaten them twice in a row. And then you look at Washington; it seems to me like it opens the door for the Flyers, really, in that in that Metropolitan Division to not just go go in in, in first place, but to go in as the favorite. Yeah, isn't that something? That's I wouldn't have seen that coming. Yeah, no, I didn't either. And when you look at it before the season started, you had. You know, a lot of uh, optimism about the Penguins returning to playoff glory and Malkin looking to rebound from a difficult season last year and depth and goal with Jari continuing to develop and Matt Murray already winning two Stanley Cups. Uh, it was It's curious to me to see that they've kind of hit a wall here. They did push hard and push for a long time in the absence of a couple of their star players and were very impressive. There was a lot of moves made by Jimmy Rutherford at the trade deadline, some of that because of injury. And I think there's times when a team plays well in the absence of star players where some of those players that are performing at a high level and feeling very important start to play with some swagger, and I think that pays dividends. But when new arrivals come, uh, 
think there can be kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where you start to look over your shoulder and you're like thinking to yourself, man, I was doing all right, but I couldn't have been doing that well because all these other guys are coming in and they're playing ahead of me. So that may have rattled the Penguin uh, lineup a little bit, and hopefully that gets calmed down. Mike Sullivan has proven that he can do a lot with uh, the players that are sitting in front of him, and I would expect him to correct that, but it, like the Capitals, has also been concerning watching what's happened with the Penguins. And now I'm going to put you on the spot. When you when you look below the teams that we just talked about, and, and there's there's that crazy bottleneck from Toronto all the way down to the Rangers of, of teams that are within three or four points, what are the teams in that group that you see and you say those are the teams we're going to see when the playoffs start in April? Well, I think you're going to see Carolina for sure. I think once they get their goaltending healthy, that's going to make a major difference. But I think they just play faster than other teams. And I think that they're going to play in the offensive zone a lot more than the other teams that are sitting around them, with the exception of the Rangers. And unfortunately, they lost Chris Kreider. And I think that may be too much to overcome, but I still believe they're going to make a push and be right in there in and around the last day of the regular season. It would not shock me to see the Rangers make it. But if I was picking two out of the bottom teams, I would pick Carolina, and I would pick the New York Islanders to figure it out. I still have faith that uh, Barry Trotz can find a way to get these guys to play to their potential. And I think they have enough structure there that they should be able to recover here. And if they gain some offensive confidence, start to be a problem uh, for the teams that they're facing down the stretch. Some of their experience last year and making the playoffs, I think, should serve them well. And I do believe that uh, they have enough to find their way into the playoffs as well. Here's the thing with the Islanders that concerns me, Keith, is they're 19, 20, and 7 since that 17-game point streak early in the season. So it's like that's maybe more of what they are than the point streak. But I see what you're saying, the experience that they have in Barry Trotz as well. But it, it is a little alarming, don't you think, with that, with that the way they've played for a very long time now of being kind of mediocre. Yeah, you'd like to see Adam Pellick return to the lineup, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. He, he had a lot to do with it. I mean, they had a very good shutdown pair that in Barry's coaching system and with his philosophies provided the Islanders with you know, a 60-second shift or a 45-second shift where they knew they could shut down the opposition. And his absence, I think, does coincide with a lot of their struggles and he's turning out to be uh, almost an irreplaceable part on their back end. So that is something to watch for. I don't. Um, I'm, I think he's done for the season, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But he is, in my eyes, an important player for them, and they need to fill that hole and allow the other defensemen to kind of slot in where they belong. But that's been an issue for them. I think they tried to address it with Andy Green coming over at the trade deadline or just prior to that. And just hasn't seemed to all come together just yet, but I believe it will. The way that you've laid it out, you have Columbus falling back into the pack. What do you think their weakness is? Depth because of injury. I, I just can't imagine that they can make it with uh, the absence of Seth Jones. I, I think it's impossible, but they just don't go away. <laughs> yeah, like it's, uh, I, I look at it, and I'm just, I just marvel at the job that they have done in Columbus. And Yarmo Kikalainen's done an amazing job of keeping the depth in the organization. And, man, even before these injuries, I didn't pick them to even be in the conversation for the playoffs, and they just won't go away. So it's uh, it's hard to knock them for anything. 
It you would just, uh, be a very good season on from anybody's standpoint when you look at the bodies that they've been missing and the ones they lost in the offseason. Yeah, you were just singing the praises of Elaine Vigneault uh, and obviously the job Torts did. Do, do you think those two guys are the front runners for Coach of the Year? Yeah, I still think Mike Sullivan's in there as well based upon what he did over about a 35-game stretch where he had multiple players out of the lineup and they played at a high level. But, yeah, I think there's no question that Elaine Vigneault has to be in there. Uh, based upon what he's done with the Flyers. And when you look around the league, there's a few other choices that would come into that conversation, and including Craig Berube in the absence of Tarasenko. What St. Louis has done has been remarkable. Uh, again, continuing to stand at the top of that division. So there's other names that are involved there, but John Tortorella's done an amazing job. And what makes you look at a coach's performance and think it's above all others is when a team overachieves and a team plays consistently the same way every night, no matter who's in the lineup. And that's a true testament of an excellent coach, and that's exactly what's happened with Columbus. Last one for you, and we I think our Western Conference listeners would be upset if we didn't ask you at least one Western Conference question. So I wanted to ask you about the Minnesota Wild. I, I had them dead uh, when they traded Jason Zucker, I thought, okay, this will be it. They're rebuilding. They tried to trade Zach Parisi, apparently. And and ever since, I mean, they just keep winning games. What do you make of the Wild right now? And is Kevin Fiala the game-breaker that they've been missing? He is. And sometimes it's uh, moving a couple of pieces when you think you're rebuilding and all of a sudden you open up the floodgates for a young player to finally excel and mature into the player that I think a lot of people in Nashville thought he would become, but he was roadblocked because of the number of talented wingers that were playing in front of him there. Um, he has been extremely impressive. Uh, the numbers speak to that, but visually it's just remarkable what he's been doing uh, as an individual with the puck, and looks like he's starting to blossom into a, a real star. So it's a small sample size, but if you're looking at why Minnesota's still in the conversation, 70% of it goes to Kevin Fiala. Yeah. So I think that's uh, something when you have a game-breaker like that, a young guy that steps up and not just provides some offense, provides star-like numbers, like Dreisaitl-like numbers over the last little while. So that's been an amazing story in Minnesota, and good for him to jump up and grab the opportunity. Yeah, definitely has. Keith, thanks so much for joining us and going through this all with us today, all right? Happy to do it, guys. Take care, boys. Appreciate Keith Jones joining us. Check him out on NBC, of course. Sean, we did a lot of East there. Finished with the Wild in the West, but... Let's go west. Let's look at the Pacific Division. Before we cut back to the Atlantic Division, we bring on our next guest, Mike Zeisberger. we got to go west to the Vegas Golden Knights. They're 11-2-0 in their past 13 games. They've got first place in the Pacific. And finally, over the last little while, they have proven themselves, at least in my mind, they are the cream of the crop in that division. You mean the team that I picked to come out of the Pacific when we did that roundtable about a month ago and everybody said, what are you talking about? I don't even remember who I picked. Be honest with you, no idea. I might have picked. No, I don't think I picked Vegas, but I don't remember who That's it was. That's because you're you're not a man of your convictions. <laughs> I, I I am a man of conviction, but I can't remember. I literally you, can't remember. You, you change your tune all the time. You're like a jukebox. Oh well, you know that's the league, though. This this league. Look, I, I, we were just. I was just talking about this before we before we were recording. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was convinced that there'd be five teams from the Pacific Division in the playoffs. Convinced of it because the bottom of the Central just didn't look good you know after you got past dallas it just didn't look good 
and now it could be completely flipped because now right today as we're recording Winnipeg and Minnesota are the wild card teams Vancouver struggling uh I'm not a big believer in Nashville we went over that already but they're central Arizona is struggling right but Winnipeg's playing well Minnesota's playing well it's day-to-day. So how can you be a man of your convictions in this league? Things change so quickly. You have to. You have to stick to your guns. And what I saw in in Vegas and what I really liked, and it just got added to at the trade deadline, right, their, their depth, their ability to do things. Again, we talked about grenades. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a grenade thrown in a room. Hey, the coach that took you to the Stanley Cup final two years ago, he's gone. all done. Yeah. He's lost the room, whatever the reasoning for it was. Here's here's your most bitter rival, the guy that when you were playing them in the playoffs last year was as disliked as maybe any of the players <laughs> on the team, and he's going to lead you to the promised land. Fifteen, five and zero, oh, I think since since Peter's Pete DeBoer's come aboard. Uh, to me, they're the class of the Pacific, if not the class of the of the West right now. I think they would give St. Louis a pretty good run for their money. They'd give St. Louis a run for the money. I'd find it hard to tell you that they're better than the Blues right now, but they, they they would give the Blues a run for the money. But let's not sleep on the Oilers, though, right? I mean, the Oilers have played well. They haven't been able to beat Vegas. They do have a big one against Vegas. We'll have a potential big one against Vegas. I believe they play March 31st. Uh, Vegas has beaten Edmonton uh, two times in the past two weeks, but that's down the road. But let's not sleep on the Oilers and what they've been able to do. I think throughout the entire season, we've been looking at when is Edmonton going to drop off? When is that going to happen? Similar to Buffalo, right, in the Eastern Conference. And it did happen for Buffalo, but it hasn't happened for Edmonton. Dreisaitl's been unbelievable. McDavid's been terrific. But they've gotten this other mixture of scoring that's gone in there as well. Miko Koskinen looks pretty good. So I don't. I mean, I'm, I, I know Vegas is the cream of the crop in the Pacific, but let's not sleep on the Edmonton Oilers. Well, let me just tell you this. In the last four games that the Edmonton Oilers have played, they've won one and they've lost three. They've been outshot. I'm not like nine. I'm going to stay with my conviction here yeah, and not see, sleep on you, the Oilers. You, you finally are sticking with your <laughs> yeah. conviction, and I think it might be the wrong one. It's been 166 to 99 in the last four games. That's a lot of shots. Th- I was not aware of that particular statistic. And I you will can, say I will admit that. Well, not aware of it. You can you can argue that they're coming from bad places and whatever. I don't think they're deep enough defensively. And here's the other issue: that when they played Vegas, you got to shoot to to beat another team. They had five shots yeah. at the thirty minute mark. I'm of not the game. saying they're better than Vegas. I think they would lose to Vegas if they played in a playoff series. But I don't want to sleep on the Oilers because look behind them again. Calgary, they're not doing anything for me. Vancouver. Sorry, they're not doing anything for me. Arizona, nope, not doing anything for me right now. But Edmonton is at least finding some ways to win if you look at it over a longer stretch than what you're looking at here. Yeah, they need to shoot a little bit more too, but they are so dynamic offensively that you cannot just sleep on them and say, well, I mean, let's just give it to Vegas here. No, and I hope they finish second, and I hope everything stays the way it is. Calgary's third. Hey, battle, that'd be fantastic, battle of right? Alberta in the first round of the playoffs. That'll wake some people up. That'll wake some people up. Maybe in the and uh, maybe in the Eastern Conference. And let's get there right now, so we can get to Mike Zeiser. Maybe we'll get a Tampa Bay, Florida series in the first round of the Eastern Conference. But the Toronto Maple Leafs will obviously have something to do with that. And that is where we go right now to our colleague Mike Zeisberger. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good, boys. Hope you uh, guys are doing well. Everybody's healthy, and uh, we're down the stretch. Here we go. Absolutely. So okay. I, I, you have to explain this one to me. How do the Toronto Maple Leafs, here we go, right, size? How do the Toronto Maple Leafs go to Tampa, 
Florida, and then come back home against Vancouver, win all three. And then they go out to California and they score three goals and go 0-2-1 against the Sharks, Kings, and Ducks. Can you explain this team to me? Okay, Dan, what's the square root of pi? <laughs> so there you go. You can't explain it to me. <laughs> no. It, it, no. It's it, baffling. It, baffling. It, it, it is baffling. And the other, the other thing about it is, I mean, those, uh, you know, uh, the game in Tampa, and specifically the game in Florida, because they lost Jake Muzzin in the game in Tampa. So they go into Florida a couple weeks ago, and Tyson Berry had more cumulative games played than the other six defensemen on the Leafs roster combined. And yet they go in and they beat Florida, and then they beat Vancouver. And then they go out to what used to be Death Valley for opponents and now is Death Valley for fans of those teams, and I'm talking about the three California teams. And, you know, they lay lay an egg. And and you watch those games, and if it wasn't for their goaltenders – um, I mean, Jack Campbell standing on his head in in, uh, in Anaheim to get them to to keep it to two to one. Uh, you know, Frederick Anderson not being beat until the shootout when they lose to, to the Kings. Um, you know, those, those, those games were inexplicable. And you know, the one thing that this team is supposed to be able to do is score goals. And not only did they not score goals on that West Coast trip, but um, they didn't generate hardly any offense. And to me, that is, you know, you asked me to explain stuff. I mean, if we're going to break it down, to me, that is the most, you know, head-scratching, illogical part of this whole equation is, is, is how, how they could not produce offense against three teams that, frankly, you should be able to produce offense against. So it's almost understandable that we can't explain this Jekyll and Hyde team and which one's going to show up. But how concerning is it that the coach, by his own admission, can't figure this team out? Well, it should be concerning, but, you know, I think, Sean, even more concerning, and you used the term Jekyll and Hyde, which is exactly what uh, General Manager Kyle Dubas used, uh, that exact term, um, is the fact that, you know, Sheldon Keefe has come in. He's only been here... Uh, since the end of November. Um, but this is a team that, that you know, uh, that Kyle Dubas built. And when your general manager has a vision in place, and then at this point of the season, even he comes out and says, well, I'm not sure what's going on, I, I find that more alarming uh, than I do with the coach. And it just goes to show, um, you know, what a phenomenon this team is. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I wish I could explain it to you guys. I mean, there's guys having career years. Uh, you know, William Nylander, who, uh, you know, uh, when he signed a year ago, uh, got a lot of criticism uh, for, for getting a contract that a lot of people thought was, you know, almost seven a year was too much. Um, he's having a career year. Uh, Austin Matthews uh, is threatening to become only the fourth week in history, to score 50 goals in a season. John Tavares is at a point in the game. Mitch Marner is among the, the assist leaders in the National Hockey League. Zach Hyman is about to, to set um, a new mark, uh, personal mark, for, for goals in a season. And yet, this team, you know, you look at those and you, you'd say, okay, well, if there's so many guys having good individual seasons, then shouldn't the team be doing that? But they're not. And they, they, they continue to make 
uh, head scratching mistakes. Um, you know, whether, I, I mean, you can talk about tuning out the coach, but how many coaches are you going to have to have before you tune them out, tune them all out? And so, you know, the bottom line for me is this comes, this, this is on the shoulder of the players. Um, and it takes more than personal stats to win. Uh, I know that's, uh, you know, a cliche, but I think that the Maple Leafs are showing that that's, that, that is a fact. Now, Zyze, I will say Morgan Riley's back and yep. six of their next seven starting tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning are at home. So with Riley back and all these home games coming up, is that enough to push them back into it to where they can, after this California road trip, to where they can solidify themselves as a playoff team? Even after all you just said about what's wrong with them, can they still yep. be a playoff team? They still oh, can. I believe that they yeah. can. I bet they and more than that, Dan, I think that they should. Um, when I look at some of the teams that they're battling against, um, and you're looking at the raw talent, I mean, I said at the beginning of the season that when I looked at this team's roster from a pure skill point of view, this may have been the, the, the most raw skilled team, Maple Leafs team, that you know I have seen. And I go back to uh, you know the Pat Quinn teams, the Doug Gilmore teams, just top to bottom, but they haven't played that way. And as for your point about playing at home, they have not played well at home. And that has been another thing that has management kind of befuddled. Um, the fact that they haven't been able to take advantage of their home games, as opposed to a team like the Boston Bruins, who last time I checked, what have they lost? Like four home games, three home games in regulation. Yeah, they're 22, four and nine. The Bruins at home. Yeah. The, the Leafs are seventeen nine and seven, so only nine yeah. regulation, but but still that's seventeen and sixteen if you look at it. Just yeah. you know, w- exactly. with the wins and losses. Exactly, and you know, sometimes you'll have people saying, "Well, it's the playing in the spotlight uh, and uh, you know the pressure of playing in the fishbowl that is Toronto." Well, you know, I'll, I'll say it to you guys. I mean, Dan, you you grew up in the New York area. Is there any less of a spotlight on the New York Yankees? Or, uh, Sean, you're from Rhode Island, uh, obviously. Is there any less spotlight the on, the, on the Boston Red on the, Or on the Paw Sox, right? <laughs> hey, man, the Paw Sox are moving. Don't rub salt <laughs> into the wounds. <laughs> no, I see your point. I don't buy into that uh, at all, Zyze. I don't buy into that fishbowl pressure situation. I think, yeah. that, I think that, to be honest, I think this is just a team with a lot of talent that's raw and young. And if they keep it together one of these years, they're going to figure it out and they're going to do what the Capitals did, but they got to keep it together to do it. And it's not going to be this year. No, I don't think so. Not because, this year. No. You, you know, we talked about it earlier, that Bruins-Tampa Bay game. Again, those are the teams, most likely Tampa Bay, that they're going to draw and they play them tonight and it'll be a good litmus test. But if those games are played like that, Toronto's not going to be able to stay in a series like that. Well, and I think you bring up a different point now. Um and one that needs to be addressed is, is the construction of this team flawed? Okay, and I understand the way that Kyle Dubas wants to play this game. He wants to play it with raw skill, and I understand that. And good for him for sticking to his gun. Um, because where this team was, you know, six, seven years ago compared to where it is now, uh, is such, you know, it, it's improved by leaps and bounds. But we saw, you know, the St. Louis Blues win a Stanley Cup playing a north-south style that, you know, a lot of people had said you can't win that way anymore. And then you brought up the Bruins 
uh, Lightning game the other night. I was in Tampa uh, when the Lightning uh, for trade deadline. And I remember talking to Julian Brisbois, their general manager, about it. And he said, we have to find a way to play different ways. We can't just play the skilled up-and-down game, uh, you know, east-west, because some teams take that away from you. So sometimes you have to play a more sandpaper game. You look at some of the additions that Tampa Bay has made and then look at the way that they played against Boston in your face, not backing down. Um, I don't want to say all-time hockey because that's a cliche, but it kind of was. Um, And then it was interesting because after that game, the former Lightning GM, Jay Feaster, tweeted something out about how this team was different than the last Tampa Bay teams of the last six or seven years because they're in your face and they push back and they can play any way you want. Can we say that about the Toronto Maple Leafs right now? I don't think we can. No, and you don't you don't get to dictate in the playoffs. But but also let let's in fairness, we can't say it about the Leafs, but you can't really say it about the Panthers either. You can't nope. you can't really say it about the Rangers, I don't think. The Islanders can play that way, but they don't score enough. The Blue Jackets can play that way, but they don't score enough. Carolina is the only team in that wild card race where they can do, they have that mixture, I think. So the Leafs aren't alone, is my point. But we're, no. to, we're talking about teams that are all at the bottom of the standings. Exactly. Well, uh, we're not talking about the Tampa Bays and the Bostons right now. Yeah, of course. That's except, why they are yeah, there. Except I, w- I would just interject to say that last week uh, out in California, Brendan Shanahan, the team president, who you know, you can't you can't argue with his resume. He's won Stanley Cups. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. He came out and said his expectation is that this team can still win a Stanley Cup this year. So consider what you just said, and then consider what he just said. And I think there's a lot of school open for debate. And I would definitely, in my humble opinion. Um, lean more towards what you said than what he said. Yeah, I think he might have to manage his expectations a little bit better. <laughs> uh, but I, I wanted to, away from Toronto, well, still, I guess, def- technically with Toronto, but the team that's chasing them and is now only one point back, the Florida Panthers. Zyze, is Chris Dreger the new Hamburglar? I don't know. I looked. I turned on the TV last night, and I saw Jared Dreger was playing net for the Florida Panthers. <laughs> I mean, uh, but, uh, no, I can't. Look at you go. You, you know you got to go with the hot hand now, and 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 that to me is one of the intriguing stories of the National Hockey League season because you know Dale Talon, and let's face it, like most people that follow the sport, thought that that was the one thing that was missing from from Florida was solid goaltending, and they went out and let's face it, they overspent on Bobrovsky, but he was the marquee guy. And he's been one of the biggest disappointments of the season. Then they put this kid in, and he's standing on his head. And I just think that you you have to stick with him. Um, I was so impressed with him in the third period last night against the St. Louis Blues. You're in the house of the defending Stanley Cup champions who are trying to get the number one seed in the West and in, the, uh, in their conference, uh, or in their division, I should say. And he showed so much poise. You know, the Blues are putting their big, gritty guys in front of the net, and they're hacking away at rebounds and that. 
and he just was so calm. I mean, I just don't think – how do you possibly go away from him? I don't think you can. I think you got to ride the hot end. Well, and you don't have to worry about it because Joel Quindville has never been shy <laughs> with no. his goaltenders about – upsetting them or riding the hot hand or not going with the one you think he should go with. Um, and he's got the resume to back it up. So, and, and to me, and I don't know if you agree with this, but you know, if you're going to look at that as a two horse race to me, you know, you can argue skill on one end, but on the other end, I think you argue coaching, right? Like if you're looking at Florida and Joel Quinville versus the Maple Leafs and, and Sheldon Keefe and, and the vast difference in experience. Well, experience, yeah, for sure, Sean. Although it's funny because when we were down in Florida two weeks ago, um, you know, people were wondering what's wrong with Joel Quenville. Where's this experience? Well, you know, as we just pointed out, you can have all your experience behind the bench that you want, but Joel Quenville can't stop uh, shots from the slot. Um, so goaltenders make, make, uh, make coaches look good, as we know. But to your point, I think that's a great point that you made. Joel Quenville is certainly not shy in shaking things up, either in his lineup or in goaltending. And I think back to 2015, um, when the Blackhawks went all the way and, and won the Stanley Cup, beating Tampa Bay in the final, people forget the starting goaltender in the first round for the Chicago Blackhawks, Scott Darling, not Corey Crawford. Yeah, no, he's not shy. He's not shy. He won't. He won't be with the Panthers either. There's no question about it. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing unfolds, guys, especially with the Toronto Maple Leafs, because as you know, everybody is paying attention to Toronto. Thanks for joining us, man. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a great day. You can follow Zyze on Twitter at Zyzeburger. And, Sean, obviously we can't ignore what's going on in the world either. We haven't gotten to it yet in the podcast and how it's impacting our world, the coronavirus. In fact, today the San Jose Sharks players and Coach Bob Ugner talked about it. They may have to play their three games this month, if not more uh, next month, when they finish their regular season without fans at SAP Center because uh, Santa Clara County has – pretty much ban put a ban on any crowds of over a thousand people because of the coronavirus the the nhl and and all major professional sports leagues closing access in the locker room restricting it to just players and team personnel so i mean this is real world stuff that's impacting us it's great we're talking about the playoff race and and everything like that but it certainly comes in the back you know the background is what's going on in the real world yeah, there's no getting away from it. And look, it, this is a curveball, certainly for the San Jose Sharks, who have had a trying year. I think you know that was one of the the themes of their availability today at practice after this announcement was made late late last night. You know, and the NHL has said they're going to abide by it. So they're going to have to figure out what to do with those three home games in March that they have, uh, beginning I, I believe on the seventeenth and nineteenth. Uh, they 19th. play nineteenth against Montreal, the twenty first against Boston and then the 29th against Arizona at home. And then they close with April 2nd against Dallas and April 4th against Anaheim. So, could, I mean, they could extend to that too. Yeah, well, they said till the end of the month for now, yeah. and then they're going to reevaluate it as everybody's going to have to as, as this moves on. Um, you know, and they're going to have to figure out whether they play that game in front of no fans, whether they try and move those games, what they're going to do with it. But clearly this is an issue that is going to impact the playoff races. It's going to impact, you know, how, how the next couple of months play out. And we all have to be cognizant of that. A lot of things are going to change, but, you know, 
know, in times of crisis, that's what happens, and and everybody adapts. Yeah, I mean, I've already experienced it having covered the Rangers-Devils game at Madison Square Garden on Saturday where we couldn't go into the locker rooms, and that's different for us. I mean, we're used to going into locker rooms, talking to players, getting the insight that way, maybe pulling a player aside, going one-on-one with them to really get a feel for what's happening with the team. You can't do that right now, but again, it's a small price to pay for the bigger picture of the whole thing. Yeah, and and hopefully when this all plays out, you know, some of these precautions were quote-unquote over the top because it wasn't as bad as some people have predicted it to be. But you don't know, and it's always prudent to be on the safest side possible. Absolutely. Well, that obviously is playing out in the background, but in our minds, the forefront of our minds, is the playoff race in the NHL. So we dissected a lot of it this week. And I'm sure it will change by next week. So we'll go at it again next week. Yeah. And look, man, I don't want to give away my job because I like it a lot. But if we could have Keith Jones on every week, you wouldn't need me. He was terrific. Just I love the way he's just so just so calmly explains everything. And you learn I learn something every time I talk to him, especially and then obviously watch him. He was terrific. We'll we'll try to get as good of a guest on next week. We at least have a great co-host with me and you. I'm blushing. Yeah, you should be. And that'll do it for us. Please rate and review us. And until next week, enjoy the games.